Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. This is a rather special episode, it's one of our fireside chats and it's where we bring on experts in areas where finance teams could do with a bit of extra help and uh, this week's area is, is a phrase I think that's out there an awful lot. It's around where strategy can be eaten by culture. People say culture eats strategy. Well, you know, we're very lucky in finance to have someone who's got an awful lot of experience, practical experience that works and we could probably say as an expert in culture and the impact on finance and the broader business too with her experience so Talita Ferreira welcome to the show thank you so much Andrew hey, and Talita it's great to have you back on we've had you on previously but you know you're one of the I suppose with the work you've doing and uh, you know we've been following each other for about a you know a year two years nearly now when it comes to culture I, I've, I find it very similar to value. Some people find it very difficult to define value. So, you know, and similarly, it could be hard to define culture. So how would you describe culture for our audience? So it's like an invisible glue that's really there within your teams that's bonding them together. That's kind of the description that I quite like. Or otherwise, um, a saying that's very often used is the way we do things here. That's also quite a good descriptive of it. Um, sometimes it's referred to as an immune system. So when someone comes into the organization but they don't quite fit, it's almost like an immune system that repels the person because they don't quite fit into that culture. Mm. But what I like to um, say is it's that glue, but it's those shared beliefs, habits, actions that people kind of live by. So it's that set of um, underlying rules within a team around how things work within that team. That's what I say. would say the culture is. Yeah, I, I love those analogies. That new one really, really uh, resonated with me as well, uh, Talita, and that particularly that, you know, the way we do things around here. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, it's probably preempting my next question. Then. Well, why is it so important in a business context and why our finance team should be aware of this? Well, I think if your culture becomes an unconscious thing and it's not something that you work at, it might not be exactly how you want it. So if we just go for a very bad example, um, for instance, of a bad culture. So let's say you join an organization and you see that the way that people actually get ahead there is at the cost of others. So what starts to happen is that you very much realize that and, um, you know, you probably try to fit in and, and, and unless it's not your type of thing and then you'll leave. But the reality is, so then what people start to do is they go, okay, I, I can only get ahead here if I kind of fight on my own or, or, or take care of myself. And then they don't necessarily share all information. And the minute you don't start to share information, you hold it to yourself, then it's not a very collaborative organization, let's say. And how will the results be driven in that organization where people aren't very collaborative? So I believe that, um, you know, if it's, a, if it's a wrong type of culture, 
then your results won't be the way you need them. And there's a very good book by um, Tom Smith and Roger Connors called Change the Culture, Change the Game. And they explain it really through this results pyramid. They say we, exper mm. we create experiences for people as leaders. Those experiences are then what they base their beliefs on. Those beliefs inform their habits. Those habits drive their actions. And then those actions drives the results. And in the case that I just gave, that bad example, so the person joins the organization, it's really uh, everyone for themselves, take care of yourself. So I start to hide information. I don't share information. When I go to meetings, I kind of just reveal the information when it makes me look good. What happens then? So I've, I've got this belief that I really need to take care of myself. I can't share too much. It won't be very collaborative. And then the results won't be very collaborative because everyone will be acting in their own silos, mm -hmm. all opposed to each other, really, because they're all wanting to get ahead. And in that way, there's the results and, the, and for that company will be impacted by it. And so just showing through that, that really bad example of culture, of course, the other way around is where you join a team and it's very collaborative and the way to get ahead is by helping each other, you rely on each other's skills, you share information, and then the action is that the organization's result will be better from that because you're actually more solving problems in a team-orientated um, way as opposed to a silo-orientated manner. Does that make sense, Andrew? It makes complete sense. Although you're going to have me now fire a load of questions right back at you, Talita. So <laughs> <laughs> much in there, right? So, okay. So this is one of my, my, my sort of interesting ones now, right? So I want to talk about change and culture as well. But before yes. we get there, there's um, so there's a big trend that I, I don't know, maybe it's just something I'm tuned into where we're talking about co-opetition, people working together, collaboration, transparency, diversity and including as many people in the in, in the decision making process to get towards the best result for the organization and balance that with the individual so how do how um i suppose given all, i suppose the shift in agenda towards that like what what should someone do if they find themselves in a culture that's not necessarily supporting a lot of those collaborative type elements which are deemed probably found in more successful organizations and what can, what can people do, in, say, in the front lines within finance? You see, I think if you're able to influence things, that's the way to go through relationships. Maybe. So having conversations and um, with different people, if, if you're in the position where you're leading a team, you can always have your team different to the rest of the team. Um, you don't need to have your team conform to the rest. So you could have within your team a different set of values a different set of behaviors if that's what you want within your team if you don't really have influence and you can't influence other people i think that's a bad place to be um someone asked me a couple of weeks ago but what if the other team is quite negative and my team is quite positive yeah i was well why don't you bring the leader of the other team together and have a conversation about you know let's increase the collaboration between our teams let's have some activities together let's get a common language let's talk about how we want to work together so that was my suggestion to him but in the end andrew i find that you know we spend two-thirds of our waking time at work and if you're at work and you feel like you're in the wrong environment and um you know your values are being crossed all the time and that's why you're exhausted and on a sunday night you hate going into the office my answer is always you have to think about if long term that's really what you want 
because I think it's important to work in organizations where we feel like we can make a difference and where we can move things. And if your influence isn't working and that's making you unhappy, I think that's not a good thing. Yeah, like, and I suppose, it's, I think, I know I found myself in those scenarios as well, Talita. What I think you really sort of nailed on there is, is when we were talking about why it's important, you know, culture is important in the business context. It's also very important in a, in a personal context as well, is that awareness, you know? Definitely. Uh, so how can, so I suppose, would you have any advice around getting that awareness right so uh, knowing when it's right to leave if it's a bad time if it is a, a, a culture conflict or so, if you should wait it out a bit longer because maybe we've just misread some of the signals you know i think um what, what really helps sometimes when i mentor i mentor quite a few finance professionals and i always say kind of keep a little diary kind of keep a little diary about what went well in the day and then, you know, for you to get closure, also what went not so well. And maybe you just make a list of five things that went really well and um, five things where you feel that it didn't go that well or maybe try and balance the list with more positives than negatives and then restrict yourself to only three things. But sometimes what I find is that um, the people that I mentor come with lists of um, very heavily weighted to the negative. And then I, I try to help them that we see the positives in situations. But the reality is if you for weeks and months on end can't see positives in a situation, it's either to move out of that team and get into a different team because sometimes it's also team specific. You know, people still leave. I think it's still the number one reason for people to, to leave organizations is still that they're leaving their leader. So it still might be that there are other leaders in the organization who are inspirational and who might bring out the best in you and who could help to develop you further. So I would never just give up on an organization. I would really say, you know, is there another team that you can try and work in, you know, where you really also might enjoy the work, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if you're continually found, finding that you're not happy in an organization and that that negative list is weighted really badly, I would say, you know, really, really think about the options. And um, it was very similar for me. I, I knew that I didn't want to be in corporate life anymore. I knew that I wanted to have a permanent corporate life. Let's call it that. I knew that I wanted to have more of a portfolio career, have a wider impact. And I didn't leave immediately. I kind of, it was a, a decision that happened over time and that worked out over time. So I also think rash decisions aren't necessarily good because it's like you say, sometimes it is that you just haven't seen the full potential or you haven't seen, you know, how someone else might um, lead in a different way and see the potential of joining their team. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You talk a lot about the individual, the person and the team. I think that, that that's some great advice. Actually. I, I love, I hadn't heard that journaling one before. I thought that was a great uh, perspective to have and sort of try and keep it objective and see if there is any way of finding the positive in, in, in what typically would be a negative list. And you also mentioned influence as well. I think that's very important to get out of that current space is to go and uh, network or interact with peers to see if it is the same on the other side of the fence elsewhere too and if it's a common trend. Um, so we're not making rash decisions because it is a large emotional investment too to take on a career in an organization. Um, mm -hmm. I think coming back to team, you know, how, so, so like we, how does the culture then impact teams maybe so that they could be maybe high performing? 
The um, research from Google is quite important there. Google did a, a study around, it's called Project Aristotle, and it's about what creates high-performing teams and why did some of their sales teams perform far better than other teams. And what they found is that it's something called psychological safety. And what psychological safety is, it's around individuals being willing to say what they really think. So they're willing to say, this is what I really think without being ridiculed or without being afraid that something will happen to their careers or when they, when they really say what they think. And, um, you know, that is an ingredient of culture when people can really openly say what they think, how they think in that moment. And I think if you don't have that in a team, I think the team could be doomed for failure because just think about if you're the leader and you're having running a project and people aren't really telling you what they think, they're just doing what you would like them to do or what they know will make, you know, what they know you want. And it's not really what they believe will work for the organization or what they believe to be right. And so I think, you know, culture is such an important ingredient for a high performing team. You can't really be high performing if people aren't saying what they really think and, and they're not willing to give their, let's say, creative ideas because they know nothing really happens to those creative ideas. Mm -hmm. So, so how, do you, how do you get from a scenario where we, we have no psychological safety within our teams to one where there is psychological safety and we can be more creative and so on and all the other positive impacts that, uh, that come from high performance teams? I'll tell you what I um, did with my teams that made a very, very big difference over time. So I started to do a lot of brainstorming with the team. So, of course, I was the leader of the team still, but it, and I took the inevitable responsibility, but I tried to eliminate that differential between the team and me mm -hmm. and try to say, okay, let's all just brainstorm together for a while. Let's, um, so my team meetings changed totally. I would, if we had every two weeks a two-hour team meeting, I changed that, that one hour of that team meeting was like the traditional show and tell where we talk about what we're all doing and where we are and what's happening with the project. And one hour was really dedicated towards team activities and bonding the team. And I found it really helped not to just have this because sometimes we rely on going away with a team and you just do things on an away day. And that works very well then for that period around the away day, but it doesn't really last. So you need those regular interventions. And I would do things like we created this, um, we did Strength Finder 2.0 together and found out as a team what our various strengths were. And then we would, in some of those meetings, discuss those strengths or discuss the um, challenges that we have, but who in the team, you know, whose strengths in the team we could leverage based on the profile that we knew everyone had. Or other things that we did is we would create little team charters around certain topics that we wanted to um, work on. So for instance, um, I launched a, a webinar a week ago around creativity and how we don't have a lot of creativity in finance. But one of the topics that we can do is create like a, a creativity charter and we all commit to that we're going to be more creative. So for instance, you know, when someone says, um, we've always done it that way or that won't work here. So those are kind of the words that we would try to avoid if we create a little team charter like that. So every single meeting doing things that we wouldn't have normally done before. One of the other things that we did is um, we made a list of what are problems that we would like to brainstorm or challenges that we would like to brainstorm as a team. So we always had this running list of things that we brainstormed together as a team. And sometimes we use that hour just as a brainstorming session working on someone's 
on one person's topic together. And I would be one of the team then, but I would also, if, if we would have a, an issue within that, you know, so I would be the facilitator and the leader, if you call it, but also one with the team. Those different, so I would play those different roles all at the same time. And it made a massive difference to the team just doing things regularly, doing things differently, and just bonding more as a team. Yeah, I, I, I love that, the, the idea of bonding, relationships, the, uh, the cadence, the, the frequency, the regularity, the common vocabulary, just... Uh, I think I think there's a lot to be more aware of um, as leaders as well as individuals too, and uh, you know having having led global teams, you know I think I think people might be put off thinking how would you do that on a global basis? Maybe I ask you that question, Talita. How how would you maybe propose? Let's say uh, a, a leader's got uh, team members based in various different countries across multiple time zones. Is there, is there any recommended practices they could follow or is it just an extension of what you just said? I think even if your teams are virtual, you still have to try to make the time to have those team activities. And, um, you know, maybe it's about someone getting up earlier and someone staying awake later, but then adjusting their schedule the next day and being open to them adjusting their schedule the next day. But I think if we don't do those regular um, interactions, I think that's, that will really impact the team because so often people then use email, you know, in a virtual environment and email can so easily be misunderstood. So it's really to still have those interactions between people where you, even if it's getting to see each other face to face um, on, on a zoom meeting or whatever um, office um, package you're using to run your video conferences. But I think that's, that's still very, very important. Just thinking about that, Andrew, the one thing that makes a very big difference is purpose. So um, I went through an exercise with my team to define a purpose. So not just we're doing objectives, targets, deadlines, things like that. Really saying what is our, our purpose as a, as a finance team. And that made a very big difference. And we, we, we ended on um, being enablers of the business. That was our first first like visionary purpose and the second one was developing the next generation of finance leaders because my, I found my team was not very good at developing people behind them to take their roles they were very focused on their on their jobs and and when we discussed it you know they could do more more things if they had people who could you know almost step into their shoes so that's the way also to so those were our two things, being business enablers and um, creating the, the leaders of the future, helping to grow and develop those leaders of the future. Yeah, I, I, I love that. In fact, I think there's a lot of um, finance leaders probably a bit guilty of just focusing too much on driving additional uh, revenue, profitability, margin, shareholder value perhaps, and not forgetting that uh, there's also a responsibility to bring to the next generation and have that as a purpose, particularly in these ages of robotic process automation. I think it's nice mm -hmm. to bring a bit of humanity back into it and recognize, you know, cultures ultimately uh, comes from the individuals of human beings within the team and uh, how we wish to steer each other. So purpose, great, great call out, uh, Talita. Now, one thing I find fascinating with culture is change. And mm -hmm. change, why, why can it be so, so difficult sometimes to change a culture? I think because it's all related to behaviors. 
So I, I always love when I do keynotes to say um, something like, uh, surprise, surprise, organizations don't change. It's the people that change. It's not the organization. So it's the individuals who need to change their behavior. And I think the difficult thing sometimes is we say, in whatever project it is, we'll say, okay, um, this is the technology project we need to do. So let's just, these are the milestones. These are the key deadlines. This is the training that the users have to do. Let's just get it done. The reality is if we don't talk about the people side of it, what, how do people actively need to change their behaviors? So what is it that they're going to, how will they change their behavior to use the system in the future? So what reliance do they want to place on it? Why do they want that reliance on it? Um, how are they going to feel more comfortable with it? Wh what behaviors do they need to stop doing? Which behaviors do they need to embrace in the future? So for me, it's all about, as I said before, in that um, Tom Smith thing, it's all about uh, really thinking about what are those habits that we need to change? How do those habits impact their behaviors or their actions? And then how does that drive the results? And I think the most difficult thing, um, Andrew, is that we don't have a full circle in terms of behavior. So we wouldn't say, this is how you need to change your behavior. And actually now we're going to evaluate you in future based on those behaviors. So we disincentivize, let's say, the old behaviors and we totally incentivize the new behaviors through recognition, through maybe an annual appraisal process, whatever it is. So I feel that circle is not really closed and because the circle is not closed, that's basically why it's so hard to get the change done because we don't disincentivize old behaviors and incentivize new ones. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, and this is my challenge to Lisa with behaviors was, I think I came across a study done by some uh, researchers on heart patients who just gone on the, undergone heart surgery and were given a second chance at life. And they, they followed up afterwards to see, well, what proportion of them had actually adopted a more positive lifestyle now that they've been given a second chance at life. And I was shocked to find out only one in nine of the surgery. I know. So, so like these people have the ultimate incentive to change behavior, right? And they didn't take it. And then I was thinking, right, okay, as a, as, a, as a finance person myself, I know how hard it is to change. But then as a finance leader, trying to change someone else's behavior, let alone a whole finance order or whatever, it's quite challenging uh, to change behavior. So, so like, you know, that's why I went with maybe an assets-based approach, but like ultimately this challenge is going to be presented. So in terms of steering and navigating that behavioral change and cultural change course, uh, Talita, any sort of recommendations that you could, you could uh, call out of the challenges that might come and then how maybe we could perhaps uh, deal with them? I would say firstly is to say, brainstorm with a team the why so why are you doing it so whatever change you're making why are you doing it Definitely. so that people it's again it's that purpose thing that people can buy into why is it and what is in it for me so definitely um you know working with post-it notes and all sorts of things to get very very detailed about the why once you've agreed the why then it's fine if that's the why how do we what behaviors do we want to leave behind us and really getting them out on a wall and writing them down and what behaviors do we want to move towards as a team and then also getting those very much aligned the group agrees them together and then 
as again that little charter that I spoke about before then get a little charter okay these are the five things that we all commit to um, so we'll do these things for instance and then reminding reminding each other and and kind of as the leader then motivating and engaging and recognizing who's done that really well in the week or that the team did it really well so I think it's that reinforcing of the behaviors but as a team really coming together and saying what are we moving away from? What are we moving to? How do we get the commitment? And then the why? Why are we doing it? I, I love that. I love that again. I think there's some great. Um, I, look, this is all accessible from for our listeners, right? To be able to do these things. The key thing that you're, you're two key things maybe you're calling out here, Talita. For me, what I'm taking from it is is uh, the importance of awareness of what's been going on. Why. Why, why we need to, to, to change our culture, if we need to change it, and how to make it happen. But also, the importance of team, doing it together. Um, mm -hmm. Developing that common vocabulary together. Developing, uh, being, being aware to make uh, a recognition of, of what's working well. You know, and calling that out as well. Um, I suppose in terms of our audience, would you perhaps maybe have any other parting thoughts that we, we should bear in mind when it comes to having culture each strategy for breakfast? I would say two things. I would, my first thing would be role model, role model, role model. So if, if you want to change something, you have to be that change that you want to see. It can't be that you say, I want high creativity in our team, just as an example, because we all know we struggle with that. And then what you do is you have meetings where everyone sits behind a desk and goes through an agenda a to Z, that's not going to help your creativity. Yeah. Then you have to be on your feet brainstorming with post-it notes just as an example. So it's really role modeling. And then I think the other thing to tie back into your awareness is what I call the shadow of the leader. Sometimes what happens, and I was very guilty of this myself, sometimes I would have to do something and I might not believe in it totally and I would say something but my behavior would still be showing something else and I would just give a quick easy example so we did a whole new world of work um, project and uh, everyone had to work differently empower people more real flexibility in work mm -hmm. but what I was not role modeling is working from home so I would not work from home and then my team wouldn't work from home because they would look up at the director and go, but the director's not working from home. The director's here from seven to seven. So how can we really be working from home and work more flexibly? And I think that's, that's what I call kind of the shadow. We always should think about the shadow we cast. You know, it's, it's not good enough just to say, do what I'm saying. We also have to do what we're saying. Yeah. One of my favorite ones, Lita, is make sure people take their vacation as well. You know, yes, having time away. So as leaders, we need to take our vacation too. <laughs> yes, and be brave. Um, you know, once I joined a new board and I, I said in the board, um, I'm going on vacation in two weeks and I just like to tell you all that I'm not going to read my email. And there was stunned silence around the boardroom because I said I wasn't going to read my email. Yeah. I said, if you need me, you can text me. You know, if there's really something urgent that's, that's falling over, you can yeah. text me. And I said, my team knows if there's an issue, they can text me yeah. and I will pick that text up within two hours, but I'm not reading loads of emails. And uh, yes, um, the, the CEO and I agreed that we did things differently. He liked to check he's on holiday because he didn't exactly. want to have all the emails when he came back. I always had like a day uh, of catch up. So I would always go back into the office a day later so that I had a day to sort through all my emails. But you know, 
I, I really like to say to him that we need to respect difference. I respect the way you do it and you need to respect the way I prefer to do it. But that's how it worked. <laughs> and, and the main thing is, Talisha, it worked. I think there's a lot of people listening and you've just um, helped reduce some of their fears in doing that. And I, I would suggest I've also done the same. And it actually works out very well for everyone involved. What I find, particularly working in finance, there's a lot of business stakeholders we work with that do look at their emails constantly. And if they went on vacation, they do that as well. Um, so it's about setting those clear boundaries and being respectful of those and not expecting everyone to do it the same way. Um, but everyone has the same purpose, the same why and what they're trying to do and, and achieve. So the how we do it might sometimes be a bit different, but it's important to be brave and speak up. And uh, thanks for sh shining a light on that. I think that's a fantastic example that you shared, uh, Talita. Uh, and, uh, and a great note to, to end our fireside chat on. So Talita, really appreciate investing the time with us today and coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more, and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 